0: Welcome to the no, that sounds way too serious. Welcome to the Marshall Pruitt Podcast and a weekend in IndyCar listener Q and A show. I have no idea what. Hi there, welcome. I have no idea where that nonsense came from, but anyways, hey, I am Marshall Pruitt. We do this on a weekly basis. If this is your first time listening, I'll apologize in advance. It's full of a lot of nonsense. And hey, my French fry, Sebastian Bourdais is calling. I'll be right back. And we're back. We've already had a distraction 30 seconds or so into the show. Our man Bourdais, great catch up with Seb about his amazing, amazing drive last weekend. When at the 12 hours of Sebring, I told him I want him to take over all facets of my life, our life for my wife and I. He apparently has a golden touch Win Sebring big new sponsor announced. Uh, This morning, Tuesday morning, he's on a roll. So I'm just going to hand him my bank accounts and everything else and hope that my French fry uh, takes care of us here. All right. Posted a story I've been noodling on and working on for a week or two about Indy 500 entry list. Who's supposed to be in the show? Who's trying to be in the show? If you got a chance, if you didn't get a chance, uh, it's on racer.com. Take a look there. I filed it after I put out the call for questions, so I do apologize. I'll try and look and see if there are any that came in afterwards that I might rope into the show here. Other than that, yeah, uh, we're going to have the amazing Paul Page on the show for the first time, which is really silly. He'll be our Weekend in IndyCar guest. Uh, known Paul for, I don't know, 25-plus years And yeah, uh, always have time for Paul cannot remotely drum up a reasonable answer as to why I haven't had him on the show before. But for those of you who are long-term, even just medium-term listeners, you know, I'm an idiot. So, uh, thank you for just accepting my many flaws. Last thing to mention, and this is certainly for the new or new ish listeners, I often refer to. My Week in IndyCar listener Q&A shows as my unpolished turds. Why? I leave in all the mistakes. I don't edit out anything. I don't try and make this slick or polished. Is that a cop-out? Maybe. I don't know. I just figure this show is meant to be conversational. It's truly driven by you all. All the questions you send in. Love it when we have New listeners send in questions. Even some of those have been around for a long time, popping every now and then said, hey, long time, first time, here's a question for you. This isn't meant to be slick. I could put on that affected voice that came in out of nowhere to open the show and hey there, hi, now we're next, we're going, dude. That's not me. And I know that's not most of y'all. So if you're looking for slick, polished, short, punchy, whatever, there's other stuff out there. Truly recommend you stop right now and go there. Otherwise, it's just a little family. Great sub cult. Is it a cult of listeners that call themselves the Prude, P-R-U-E, part of my last name? Uh, They keep me on my toes and are a blast and just want to say thank you. Uh, This is something that I do every week and I've yet to get to a point where it feels like work. It does just feel like Bit of a one way conversation, although your questions I receive as uh, a bit of the feedback and talk back, but it really is just a one way conversation um, in my mind with friends about a subject we love known as IndyCar Racing. So let's get going. Everything brought to you as usual by our amazing, amazing friends at the Justice Brothers, They're huge sponsors of so many things in racing the winning JDC Miller Motorsports Cadillac that Seb drove. They're part of the Meyer shank Racing Team, Wayne Taylor Racing, lots of other programs. They've been a part of my life since 1986, believe it or not, when I was a first-year rookie mechanic in open-wheel racing. Also, giant thank you to Cooper Tires. They make the Road to Indy possible. All the tiers of the Road to Indy happen to go round and round and forward, and all kinds of amazing things on cooper tires then finally torontomotorsports.com the t-shirts the stickers the mugs the models the silliness they take great care of me and hopefully great care of you with whatever kind of fun indycar memorabilia f1 memorabilia and whatever else that you might happen to want to take home so that's all the flappity yappity stuff to say with my mouth Now we're going to roll in a little music bed here. And where are we going to go first in the sweepstakes for topics that are of interest to open the show? We normally open on something a little bit bigger, a little bit deeper to dive into, and then get rolling from there. Kevin Federico, just get you in up front here before we do that. You say, hey, MP, with Sebastian's epic drive for the win at Sebring with a minnow team. Could he... Possibly get that Foyt team. Bring them a surprise win. Maybe even as early as Barber, St. Pete. He says, as long as Sebastian continues driving and winning an IndyCar, well, Champ Car is still alive. And I know one or two of you also threw in something similar about, could this be momentum? Could this be something? I'll just answer this uh, with some input from a good friend who is a race engineer. In the NTT IndyCar Series, who texted me right after Sebastian's win to say it would not surprise me at all to see Foyt, the AJ Foyt Racing team, make its return to victory lane for the first time since what Takuma Sato at Long Beach in 2013. Uh, that engineer won't name him because this wasn't a on-the-record anything. It was just two buddies. Uh, communicating, but I'll just tell you uh, the person who sent it is a heavyweight. And if he is thinking that, yes, not only is Seb in amazing form right now, but is that Foyt team benefiting from positive changes they've made over the last year or two, plus what Seb is bringing to help drive that forward? <clears throat> yeah. So I'm with you, Kev, and uh, the rest of you who are curious if Sebring might not be the only win for Sebastian this year and certainly uh, not restricted to IMSA. All right, so as part of our listener-driven show, you dictate what we talk about. And our pal Tim Falkowitz, who let me know that there are some great things happening on the work front, the real work front, that's going to take away a lot of his free time, Tim's not going to be able to put together uh, my listener Q&A and guest Q&A show uh, documents each week. It's just a word document that he compiles for me, but he does it in a masterful way. So uh, thanks to all of you who responded to my call to help uh, step in and take the baton from Tim. Part of what Tim does is use creative license to say, hey, as an IndyCar fan, looking at all the questions that come in, These are the ones that I really find the most interesting, and these are the ones I'm going to maybe move towards the front of the show that uh, would be timely or interesting or amusing to get to. And so other than clearing off our boy French Fry and the great stuff there, he said, hey, you know what? We're going to get into some questions here about the debut of the IndyCar iRacing Challenge. And once I'm done with this, I'm going to go look at least on the Facebook page and see if there are any ones about the Indy 500 entry list that came in late. But for now, uh, Joey the Priuses, uh, I'll read all three of those just to give you what they're talking about. IndyCar waited until just a month before their real season starts to begin an off-season IndyCar our racing challenge. Says it wasn't broadcasted on TV. And they only got eighteen drivers, five of whom weren't even confirmed twenty twenty one IndyCar drivers. It just feels like this was kind of half assed. No Scott Dixon, no Alex Rossi, no Will Power, no Simon Pagino, no Pato Award, no Rosenquist, no Hinch, no Daly, no Jimmy Johnson, no TV broadcast. But hey, we got Nikita Latoshkin. All right, first of all, Joey, there will be no Nikita Latoshkin slander on the weekend. In IndyCar, okay, ever because i don't know why but i like nikita i don't know him; i've never met him but i like the guy because he's older he's been doing road to indie type stuff for a while he's just kind of sort of getting to indie lights and he's not letting age or your slander stop him so i'm defending him i am standing up for my man Again, hope to meet him sometime, and uh, if you're listening, Nikita, uh, again, don't take any of this nonsense seriously from my listeners. Uh, Cade Fulling adds, MP, though I didn't watch the iRacing Challenge last week, the choice of tracks for the next few weeks has me wondering, is IndyCar using the iRacing Challenge to probe tracks for the future? says, with Toronto's uncertainty this year and possibly long-term doubt, would IndyCar consider a move? To Circuit Gilles Villeneuve, I put in that part. Uh, to Montreal, to keep a foothold in Canada. I have similar thoughts about Homestead in Kentucky, knowing that the lack of ovals on the calendar is a big topic right now. Is there something to this, or am I just reading way too much into this? And then we close, and there were more than just the three on this iRacing Challenge, but these are the three that Tim has given us here as the gift to really dive into. Our man Daniel Summerskill, who we love, who's a member of the Pruday. Uh, along with Joey the Priestess, by the way. He says, do you think more thought should have gone into planning the IndyCar iRacing Challenge, considering the first race took place during IMSA's 12 hours of Sebring, uh, in which many of the IndyCar star drivers were competing? So, yeah. So we're going to go a little backwards here and uh, start off with Daniel and mention that, yes, Uh. so... COVID-19, we know about that. We've seen it a lot. It's changed many of our lives, some in very sad, sad ways. On the racing front, we know for sure that it has caused many racing series to move many of its dates, move many events to different times, cancel them, postpone, you name it. One thing that hasn't been postponed or moved or canceled is 12 Hours of Sebring. Taking place on the date, it was supposed to take date, take place on, take date on. See, again, not editing it out, just leaving it. It didn't move. Always there. Knew it was there. No question. Coming out of IMSA's season opener at the end of January at Daytona. All knew where Sebring was on the calendar. Wasn't a question. So just overstating that a little bit, Daniel, because like you, with the thinning hair in my head that I scratched trying to figure this out, like you, probably like many of you, I couldn't quite figure out why you would drop a virtual racing event during the biggest event happening last weekend. And I know that there's NASCAR races and some other things, but, you know, let's just be honest, in terms of big special events, 12 Hours of Sebring, America's oldest big professional endurance race, right? It's a, It's a thing. Um, yeah, maybe not the one I would look to go kind of head to head with that event. Also knowing as Joey the Priest has mentioned, hey, Scott Dixon racing at Sebring, Rossi racing at Sebring, Pagano Sebring, uh Johnson Sebring, some of the others just not in available down or otherwise. Um, but hey, we did get Nikita Toshkin, so, right? I don't fully understand it and it makes me wonder from a planning standpoint, knowing that Sebring was certainly a date that we knew was not going anywhere for quite some time. I just have to wonder why. And then coming back to Joey's point of the no TV, I'm not saying it had to be on TV, but Hey, uh, peacock. There you go! Streaming! Boom! I mean, last Sunday, my wife and I had to adjust to not going to the WWE app on our uh, connected television and going to Peacock for the first-ish time to catch WWE Fastlane. So knowing that they're trying to turn Peacock into a sporting event place, hey, uh, we know we're going to be doing that with some non-broadcast television IndyCar content. Why not do a little test balloon and start out there, even if you don't have a lot of the star power that Joey mentioned? I don't fully understand. And if it was and I just don't know it, then just, again, I'm an idiot, but you accept this, I hope. But just in terms of making this a thing and a big deal, we know for sure that last year, in the midst of a shutdown, the six-event iRacing Challenge, with the TV angle, with the production effort put into it to feel like it was a big deal in the absence of real racing, it set a bar, obviously. It set a standard. Would I expect that to be matched identically now, knowing that we did go back to racing? We've got... A season starting here uh in just under a month. Maybe not, but I wouldn't expect it to be something that was to many of your points, eh feeling like it was a little cobbled together and didn't have anything like the the heat or wow, you gotta tune in. What I think damage was turned off, I believe, as well. Um so I just question whether this is seen as something real and true to the current and future values of IndyCar, whether embracing i just say gaming in general, whether this is something uh i racing whatever simulation, whatever real, this is a valuable and important thing to many, many people in this world, whether it's motor racing or whatever else it might be. This is eSports. We're there with you. Last year felt like, boy, this is making a pretty cool statement that, yeah, you're in, you're down. I don't know if this left the same impression and there's still a couple more races to do so yeah we'll just leave it there um kade to close out your question here i can i will bet everything that i own and man i hope i'm not wrong i will bet everything that i own which isn't much i don't think you'd want most of it but i will bet just about everything that i own that nobody in terms of the decision makers of IndyCar that call track A, B, or C to see if a deal can be done or if there's interest held or whatever, I can pretty much guarantee none of them were actively monitoring the first round, were looking at whether it was the streaming numbers, the amount of traffic, or gauging feedback from drivers to see how they liked circuit Gilles Villeneuve and would then be taking that information to base future opinions on in a really general sense. You also mentioned Homestead and Kentucky, Uh, whether it is Montreal, Kentucky or Homestead, some to many of our drivers have been to all three. I'd say more to Homestead and Kentucky than maybe, uh, Montreal, But again, we do have some XF1 drivers uh, for sure in the series. I, I don't think it's a secret as to those circuits, what they are, what they do, what's good about them, what's bad about them. I, I don't think there's any mystery that IndyCar would need Cade to try and unlock by quietly, secretly choosing them for an iRacing event. Um, if they wanted real feedback, they can get it. Uh, from drivers who've driven real cars, there bigger piece though is the economics. What do you want for a sanction fee, and/or how much would you pay us? Is there a reasonable expectation that a sizable crowd would come out? Uh, we could turn a profit through ticket sales and hospitality suites, and and advertising trackside, and you name it. Um, there's a ton of great places for IndyCar to go where they aren't currently going you then come back to the point of, well, hey, if they aren't going there, why don't they? Brother, it's 99% of the time about money, Uh, just simply about, do the economics work? And the reason we aren't racing at a lot of great places, for whatever reason, the economics don't work. So there you go. Is that a negative end? I hope not, but hey, whatever. Uh, Our pal Ryan Terpstra, the person I refer to as the spirit vegetable of the show. Why a vegetable instead of an animal? I have no idea, but it sounds funnier to me uh he says states he doesn't ask a question he makes a statement he says season start please withdrawal happening i'm with you i know that a number of people liked that tweet as well ryan i wanted to send out something uh, a couple days ago and say hey only a month away from the start of the season and then i didn't because yeah um, yeah, I just didn't. So it's just still feels like it's really far away. Like I'm trying to plan the, all the remaining guests for the week in IndyCar leading up to the first race. And I'm like, wow, that's a number of them still to try and book. Like it's just still crazy to me that here we are March 23rd and the season's still, for the most part, a month away. It's a long winter. I want to say winter is coming. Winter's been here. And so, yeah, can't wait for something to happen, man. Thank goodness for Sebring, though. The UFC Sebring event uh, on Saturday broadcast on NBC SN. That was uh, a welcome, welcome salve on the uh, Where the Heck is My IndyCar Wound. Let's go to Tommy Haveman. Hey, Tommy. Marshall, been a fan of IndyCar for a while now, but I'll be attending my first race at Barber next month. That is awesome. He said, Do I do you have any good viewing suggestions uh, for that track? Also says, Thanks for the podcast and best wishes to my wife and I. Thank you, man. Let's see. Probably a response that a number of the long term listeners are familiar with. And it's this. If you really, really want to sit down in a fixed area, you can. I'm struggling to remember if Barber has like any real quantity of grandstands. I know they do on the back side of the circuit, if you're staring at it from pit lane. I know that there's some there, but it's not much of a pick a spot, sit there, get a sunburn, and then go home at the end of the day type place, Tommy. There are a few on the calendar where you go, all right, pick a good spot, get a good seat, and lock in. That would be the opposite of barber. And the somewhat cool thing is you can walk to a lot of places and see many, many things. It is, as I often recommend when asked uh, this question, it is very much, Tommy, a bring a folding seat for you and however many friends or your family that's coming with you. Bring stuff that you can throw over your shoulder easily or, or something that has rollers or whatever that you can carry easily and roll along. It is most definitely a circuit where if you're getting in uh, Saturday morning at 8 a.m., go pick you know the top of the hill, turn one, uh, the one, two complex and enjoy it, but by no means have your heart set on sticking to that spot. Pick everything up after whatever that first session might be, whether it's an IndyCar session or one of the support series, and wander down towards three, four, five on the backside a little bit. There's not a crazy amount of viewing spots there, but it's a place where if you start at turn one, and think about the track in a clockwise sense. It is a it's not huge, right? You're not gonna like fall over from exhaustion from walking the place, but it is definitely a track that I think of, Tommy, as one where keep moving, find new angles and enjoy them, and you come back for Sunday. Realize that Sunday's not gonna be as long as Saturday, but Maybe you start start by going counterclockwise, and you might find some new angles, new things that intrigue you. Uh, There's a lot of catch fencing up around the place. Not all, but a lot. Uh, So depending whether you're on the inside or the outside of that, um, if you got a camera, you should be able to take some pretty cool photos, and I think you're going to enjoy it quite a bit. It's also in my wife's home state, so definite affinity there. Uh, plus, it's the you know the the birthplace, Leeds, Alabama, of Charles Barkley. So, I mean, that makes it even better. Um, I'm happy for you, Tommy, and I hope you and, like I said, friends or family or whomever else. Uh, I look forward to hearing your feedback. So, after the the show, immediately after Barber, please uh, send something in. Let us know what it was like, what you found that you liked, and you know maybe we can uh, share that with. Sometimes, someone whomever whenever someone might ask a similar question about barber but yeah definitely plan on moving stick and move my friend you're gonna enjoy it andrew schmidt asks how did barber get on the calendar it's a great question and i don't have an answer for you other than i'd heard for a while that there was an interest in my guess, guess, and I apologize, it's ignorance, but I do know that the promoters, uh, the company that uh, Mr. Barber works with are they've been pretty good as I have observed in reaching out to a variety of series. Obviously the place was designed originally, uh, for motorcycle racing. It's one of Mr. Barber's great passions, and also a huge, huge aspect of the amazing museum that he has on site. By the way, Tommy, uh, yeah, the museum, look on the schedule, find at least two consecutive sessions, right, of cars and series you don't care about, (laughs) Uh, and plan on spending that 45 minutes to an hour at the barber museum if you haven't already been there, and prepare, if you could find three in a row that you can't stand, that would be perfect. Um, Also be prepared to walk out and say, yeah, there's no way I got to all of it, and I cannot wait to go back. Um, designed originally for motorcycles, Andrew, and I know that there were questions slash concerns about, is it wide enough for real you know, car racing? And yeah, so I think I was there for the inaugural. Was it 2010, I think? And I think it was just a, a question I would have to guess. It was raised by the promoters brought to IndyCar, wanting to attract them and bring them in. And I don't recall there being any real pursuit back in the IRL era, which would have been prior to 2005. Uh, Keep in mind the IRL in 2005 changed its name to the IndyCar series and did this wacky thing of saying, you know, ovals. Okay, got it. We're good. Uh, Let's do them road course things too. So yeah, it wasn't until 2005 where going to Barber would have even been an option. But at least for what my feeble brain recalls, can't think of any real serious overtures uh, prior uh, to you know that mid to late two thousands of there being a real push. Uh, prior to that mid two thousand time of there being any real push, try and get them there. Chris Hoffman, you're up next. Say any idea if the Pit and Paddock area will be locked down like last year? Didn't mention a race, so I'm not sure if you're just talking the entire season, Chris, or a specific event, maybe the Indy 500. He says, if so, do you think the series can organize something so fans can get things signed by the drivers? From what I understand, Chris, please don't hold me to this as if what I say is uh, going to be fact, but I do understand, because I did have this conversation with our friends at IndyCar, the general approach to such things this year fall along the lines of what you might expect meaning right now early in the season things getting moving early part of 2021 championship while covid vaccine administering is still you know not taking over and covering everybody on the planet with COVID still being a significant risk and flare-ups in some areas, we're not clear, obviously, of the danger and threats. So the who's going to be allowed in, how many people will things be open at all? I know the general approach that they're looking at, Chris, is, while things aren't fully baked and we're not done with COVID right now, you're going to see that mindset or that reality in terms of access applied to pit paddock, you name it. I don't know if things would relax a little bit in time for May in the Indy 500. Certainly a hope. Know that there are plans to have a packed house, as much of a packed house as possible. Too early, though, to say, based on, again, vaccines and covid retreating, whether all these things are going to be possible early-ish in the season. But the general goal that I know is, as things improve, as more people are vaccinated, as COVID numbers hopefully come down everywhere, more things are going to open up and get back to normal. So I wish I could tell you this race on date X is going to be the one where everything is happy and free and back to normal. Going to have to do a little bit of wait and see and find out exactly when that is possible, Chris. I do know, though, for sure, that there is a desire for the Indy 500 to be as normal as possible. I just don't know, nor do any of us know, based on developments with this virus, as to whether that will be 100% possible. And for those of you who are familiar with the show, you know that there's often many interruptions during recording, whether it's getting dinner going for my wife, which I just did, or coming back and sitting down in the chair in the office and our cats, Rocky and Rosie, who often pipe up or play a role in the show, despite not being asked to, well, Rosie's face down at the bar, drunk, asleep in the window. Rocky, who was on the other side, decided to jump over, walk across the back of my chair, start licking my hair, and then keep going and jump onto to uh, a little perch that he has with a nice little blanket to comfort him. So, welcome to my life, y'all. It's not bad. It's just strange and bizarre and, and always in the midst of some form of... Derailment, but hey, again, eh, to coin a Juan Montoya it is what it is. Where are we going next? Peter Nutt and Jerry Robert Sudduth. Hey, guys, appreciate the two of you for sure. Peter opens with last year, Renus VK versus Colton Herta provided us a lot of entertainment and joy. What's the rivalry you'd suggest watching coming into this season? Oh boy. Well, we no longer have Santino Ferrucci as a full time driver, so uh all the Andretti Autosport drivers versus Santino is no longer a thing, except for the Indy five hundred, where, as I mentioned in my little story today, uh not saying he's driving for Ray Hallettman Lanigan racing, but I am saying boy I sure do hear his name mentioned as their third driver more than any other. Uh Rivalries. Who's going to replace these two young guns? Well, do we have to, Peter? Do we think that Renus and Colton are just going to be separated at all times and no one's going to hit the other on track, of course, and that's just going to die down? I have a feeling it's not. Renus is super aggressive, Colton is super aggressive. Um,. We tend to see the Andretti cars faster than the Carpenter cars. We know the Carpenter team is doing their best to make sure that is no longer a thing. We know that the Andretti team had a pretty rough first half to three quarters of the year and really rallied towards the end. Colton was really the only consistent bright spot. So assuming or provided nothing goes backwards for Andretti, wouldn't be crazy to think that Colton will still be there at or near the front. Uh, Renus for sure in year two with a Carpenter team that looks like they have made some good progress during the offseason. I think we might see more case of Renus being closer to the front so they can continue this thing compared to Colton moving a little bit farther back so they're closer. So I think that could be kind of sort of fun. I just don't know if I see... All right, I know what it is. Jimmy Johnson versus Dalton Kellett. All right, I'm going to stop messing around. It Clearly, uh, I think things might come to blows. There could be fisticuffs involved between Dalton Kellett and Jimmy Johnson. And Dalton Kellett knows why. No, he doesn't. I just totally made that up. But I'd, wouldn't it be amazing if that was a thing? Like, anyways, I don't know. Uh, I'm a little bit punchy now. Um, Boy, like real... I'm just not seeing a ton of it right now. Uh, We're unfortunately in a bit of a young gun drought coming into the series this year due to Indy Lights not happening in 2020. There's going to be a lot of them coming next year, and there's a couple of genuine badasses. So uh, I'd say next year might be more the case of uh, some new youngish agitators coming in to uh, stir things up. Obviously, Colton was in his second season this year, so he wasn't a rookie like Renus. But again, two of the youngest of the young guns doing big things. Uh, Alex Pillow is too nice to get really like outwardly mad if someone were to knock him around too much. So, Plus, if things are going well for him at Ganassi, I don't think he, other than traffic, is going to be stuck in the mire too much. I just don't see a lot of, oh boy, uh, talk about locking horns and it being a continual thing. So I think for this season, we're going to see 2.0 of uh, Renus and Colton. As for Dark Horse, Jerry, you're asking about who do I think the Dark Horse of the season might be? Probably be an easy one. I'd say Ed Jones, right? Uh, I keep wanting to pronounce it Mike Jones, Mike Jones, but Ed Jones, uh, the man whose entire name consists of seven letters, short, efficient to the point. I think that's going to encapsulate young Ed's season with the Dale coin racing with Vassar Sullivan team. I just need to look here too. Uh, Yes, Dale Coyne is still the unquestioned leader in IndyCar of withs. With Rick Ware Racing, which just trips my lips and tongue. I want to say Wick Ware. I don't know why. Rick Ross Racing. Now that would be amazing. Dale Coyne Racing with Rick Ross Racing. With Rick Ware Racing would be just... How do we make that happen? Or is that a third entry? And who would drive... The Dale Coin with Rick Ross entry. I need your input. Tell me. Let me know. Uh, hashtag tweak twiic the weekend IndyCar. Uh, tell me who should drive for uh, the man whose house was used in Coming to America. Oh, that was terrible, by the way. Right? Oh, the disappointment. I am. I'm still. Just mourning the loss of how not funny that movie was. Nonetheless, his giant match and using the movie. I don't know why I'm off on this tangent, but again, it's part of what you get here in this show of mine. Mine, unpolished Turd. Uh, I'll say Ed Jones. He left with zero fanfare, Cherry. There was nobody saying goodbye to him. There was nobody saying, oh, man, we gotta have you back. And kind of sort of went away, kind of sort of obscura in terms of 2020 and him having any kind of presence or awareness left in America. It's not like he was doing things in a big series wherever in Europe and we got to see and hear a lot about it and so on and so forth. Just had a pretty not awesome 2019 with the Ed Carpenter Racing with Scuderia Corsa uh, program. And just kind of petered out, and nobody really noticed, and no one really heard from him last year. Uh, Ed Jones is a good driver of race car, he goes quickly. I'm not saying he's going to win a race, I, I don't want to get that far out uh, on predictions, but I think folks are going to be reminded who were fortunate to observe his rookie season. In 2017 with Dale Coyne. Uh, Yeah. I know the opportunity at uh, Chip Ganassi Racing was there and he took it. And it just was not a great fit in 2018. Then the Carpenter thing, which I don't want to say it wasn't a good fit. It just did not materialize into anything competitive. And he was gone. I probably like a few people. Jerry, wonder what if Ed had stayed for a second year at Coyne? where would he be in his career development-wise, and so on. I bet you he'd be driving for a bigger team, having had a second year of seasoning at least, maybe a third, who knows. But the guy coming back, let's just not forget, he really impressed us in 2017. So that's my dark horse, and my predictions are almost always wrong, as some of you know, so I hope I didn't just curse Ed's IndyCar return. Uh, We're going to go to Tony Chef 20 says, is poor attendance on ovals specifically an oval problem or a popularity problem from both IndyCar and NASCAR? I wish I had the answer, Tony Chef 20. I'd probably be making a lot of money if I did, but I don't. I would say in the NASCAR side, oversaturation might be the thing. And I know I'm the millionth person to say that. But yeah, just certainly there seemed to reach a point where too many races, too Often. So, not only the volume, but the frequency and the double dates on this oval and that oval, and just felt like, boy, we're flooding the market, and the market has said enough already. And we've seen a lot of changes to their calendar, and we also aren't exactly seeing a ton of folks flooding uh their events. Attendance is still good, don't get me wrong, but it's not the packed houses like they once were. I think that might just be a racing thing, Tony. You know, racing's just not as popular as it was 10 years ago 20 years ago so there's that indycar you have to factor in that indycar is far less popular than nascar and then you go to ovals where again maybe general oversaturation and there are even fewer people indy five hundred's the the clear and thankful exception to that rule but yeah uh Although there have been a lot of arguments, frustrations, complaints about IndyCar's very light oval calendar this year, and I don't disagree with any of the things folks have said about, come on, man, th- this ain't right. I wonder, we'll see if there's any merit to it, but I wonder if the significant reduction, hey, we're going to Texas, great, we're doing a double header there, great. Wow, that's a lot of our oval season done already. Uh, by the end of May, uh, yeah, there's not a lot of oval racing. There's actually just one at Gateway slash Worldwide Technologies Raceway. By the end of May, the 75% of IndyCar's oval calendar is done. I wonder... For those who love indie cars and oval racing in particular, provided COVID and travel and all those things, just wonder is there a possible benefit to this in terms of increased attendance at, say, a Texas? We know the gateway. Has obviously had very good attendance. Uh, I don't know if every seat has been sold, but will this help ensure that for Oval fans of IndyCar, guess what? There aren't many shots, so if you love it, get on that plane, get in your car, do whatever it is, but get there and see it because you don't have many to choose from. I wonder if this is a unexpected, unintended method to maybe pack the houses in restart or add a few more revs to interest for indycar's oval events i'm not saying i want to see them stick with it for the next however many years maybe one more year but you know if they can get one more on the calendar uh again i'd hope that the lack maybe would drive greater interest than what we've seen yeah <laughs> and true to form back after bringing mrs pruitt her dinner And then just texting with IMSA President John Doonan to arrange a very late call tonight uh, so I can get what I need. Had a new Racer Magazine, two Racer Magazine story commissions come through today. Uh, Don't want to call them last minute, but uh, due on Friday. So uh, yeah, pretty much normal stuff. And hey, just got a text from Doug Bowles. It's a great day in America, friends. Um, Let's see. I'm going to respond to Doug while we're here. Hey, brother. How about next week? Doug was going to be our Weekend IndyCar guest this week. Schedule got jammed up a little bit, so hoping we can maybe do next week instead. And Yeah. Know a lot of you have Indy five hundred questions beyond what my feeble brain can answer. So yeah, hoping uh, we can have El Presidente of IMS as our guest next week. All right, where are we going next? Yes, again, this is this is just real, folks. Again, I'm trying to give you the accurate way that my life happens and how this podcast is assembled. Uh, the Wawa underscore twenty four and Kevin DeVries. Uh, Let's see. The Wawa says, hey, Marshall, because NASCAR is running its first dirt cup race in 50 years, what modifications would you need to make the Dallara uh, DW12 make it able to run on a dirt track, he asks. Uh, And then Kev says the Bristol NASCAR dirt races are nearly upon us. Uh, if you had access to RP's bank accounts, which current IndyCar or Ladder Series driver would you enter in the event for the best outcome? Uh, And I'll get to the second part of that in just a moment. Um, Well, it really and truly, the Wawa underscore 24, be about ride height. And to get an IndyCar high enough up off the old ground Yeah, there'd have to be a significant effort involved to do that. And anytime you're going to raise a vehicle significantly when it's used to being low or high, anytime you're going in the opposite direction of its natural state, there's mostly suspension stuff. There's a lot of stuff that needs to be looked at and modified to do that. Uh, yeah, I. Hmm. Also, I would say on the damper front, in particular, knowing that while we're talking, a Detroit uh probably is the biggest example of travel, um, because it's so bumpy and the cars have a lot of vertical movement. Uh, There's still, by comparison to a off-road, circle track, dirt-type, modified sprint or whatever, there's no anything close to what we would call a long-throw shock absorber uh, that's in use in IndyCar. And assuming that we would want more than one inch or two of travel to deal with ruts and bouncing and banging all over the place... Yeah, by and large, we're talking a lot of suspension changes. Keep in mind that the suspension on the cars at the back sit on top of the underwing and the diffusers. And so if those are now going to be long travel, we're either removing uh, the diffusers, we're making modifications, uh, dirt race only, short track dirt race, bounce around a lot modifications and cutting parts and pieces out of the way on the floors to accommodate uh, this kind of travel um it'd be an interesting one i'm not saying it's impossible it certainly isn't impossible but yeah who's going to be the crazy bastard that goes and answers our question and tries to make a current indy car work i would love to see that uh kev to your question Hmm, if I had his bank accounts, which current driver would I enter? I mean, and you also mentioned Road to Indy. I'd say Cody Swanson's probably the obvious call here, right? Uh, Yeah, race winner last year at what I guess I'm always still going to call IRP, uh, Lucas All Raceway uh, in the uh, Indy Pro 2000 series I guess he'd be my natural since his natural habitat, short tracks and crazy dirt and whatnot going around and around. So I'd start there, but I'm trying to think who else would I rope in here? You mentioned current. So I'll stick to that. Maybe a Pietro Fittipaldi, knowing that he has some somewhat recent NASCAR experience. I don't think, Think there's any dirt in there, but hey, you know he's got something there. I'm trying to think, is there anyone else that comes to mind in the IndyCar series that m- might be current and have dirt? Exp- Jimmy Johnson. <laughs> Sorry, playing a little bit there with the Pietro mention. Well, I mean, in all seriousness and all everythingness, I mean, Kev, we gotta go with Jimmy Johnson, right? So not only is he a master of Oval circuits, but the guy learns so much of what he knows about uh, non permanent track surfaces, about dirt and flying through the air and finding traction on sand and dust and rocks and you name it. I'd have to think Jimmy would be, of all the IndyCar currents, he'd be the number one choice. You mentioned ladder series, so I'll roll Cody in there because you know that's really his bread and butter. So, yeah. Uh I'm going to go ahead and go with those two. I know you got a couple other things here, Kev, but I'm going to go with those in the interest of keeping the old show moving. Dave England, you're up next. You say, "Hey, Marshall, thanks for the great entertainment." Wow. Okay. Uh I'll go with good. Dave, I'm confident with good. Great. Meh. Thanks do appreciate it. Uh, and says, very best to the family, both human and feline. Well, Rocky is snoring on the right. Rosie is positioned to a different spot and is still looking like she's face down drunk at the bar. Uh, I says, does any car have a problem uh, wanting to appeal to the U.S. market, but actually maybe a more viable proposition for European drivers with somewhat modest budgets? Is that even a problem? Eh, I don't know if it's a problem... If you want to construct the arguments that were made, a bit of a straw man, straw woman argument, I would say, going back to the 90s, right? Tony George setting up the IRL, meant to champion and support and promote the American short track, open wheel uh, type driver. America, 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 cart has become too not America. You know, if we want to play into that trope, I guess you could say, sure. If you look at the IndyCar entry list, there is not a majority of Americans. Or North Americans, I should say. We don't want to uh, discount our brothers and sisters from north of the border in Canada. The funding part, I would say, is, is actually the greatest problem, Dave. Looking at... The Indy 500 entry, entry list, for example, the amount of people listed, the drivers listed as having a budget or most of a budget and having an interest, it's smaller than usual. And I don't know if it's an aberration, if it's a one-year thing coming off a weird 2020, harder for some to find budgets and sponsors to support what they want to do in 21. Therefore, there are fewer names fewer drivers trying to get in or if it's a sign of there's just less of them and so when i look through the entry list i'll just rattle off some of the names or i know they're bringing all or some of the budget but without that budget they would not be in the car uh, dalton kellett at, and uh, at foyt i was about to say Andretti. ready don't know why okay maybe i'm going back to his lights days or foretelling the future. Uh, Dalton, 100%. Charlie Kimball, there for the uh, month of May. Definitely uh, thanks to his sponsors, which are pretty awesome. Uh, If I move down to Andretti Hinch, right? We have to say Hinch. Uh, He's brought some amazing sponsors to resume his career. After that, however you want to phrase it, for Max Chilton at Carlin, uh, his father, knowing that uh, he's you know been the big financial engine behind the Carlin team for a while uh, as you know big principal there but also a sponsor of uh, um their efforts with uh, Gallagher through 2020 gotta say Max would not be there without that support so again nothing critical just a reality no Marcus Erickson at Ganassi they're been pretty solid backers behind him for a while. Uh, where else do we go? Jimmy Johnson, for short is 100% there because of sponsors. Same with Tony Kanaan. Uh Let's see. Pietro Fittipaldi at Coin. We know that that's something where money has been part of his presence there. Uh, the first go-round, and uh, now for sure. I mean, they were looking to sell that oval seat for a while. Uh, Let's see, where else do we go? Connor, right? We know without the Air Force, he's not a dead carpenter or any team. Um, I know Renus has some backers behind him. I would say that he's a guy who, uh, if he isn't already being paid well, uh, I expect him, even with the sponsors that come with him, I expect them to continue supporting him, but... I don't so much put him in a, without those backers, he doesn't have a career. I think he does, uh, even if they've helped get him into IndyCar. Yeah, uh, so a little bit of a maybe different hybrid thing there. Who else? Where else? Uh, that's about it. If you look at the all the names that I mentioned, um, you've got Canadian and Dalton and American and Chuck uh, you've got a Canadian in Hinch, you've got a Breton in Max, you have a Swede in Marcus, you have an American in Jimmy, you have a Brazilian in Canon, you have a American-slash-Brazilian in Pietro, and you kind of run out of steam there. So eh, I'd just say doing that quick little math, you know, sure are pretty decent amount of names here from good old North America, Dave. So the issue, and it is an issue, and I think it's going to become more of an issue, is, boy, uh, I'm stoked that Romain Grouchon is here. That's great. That's amazing. Um, looking at other rookies, it's great that Jimmy's here. It's great that Scott McLaughlin's here with, with Roger bringing him up from down under that's all awesome what we don't have this year and we didn't have a ton last year were the funded mostly funded quality european new young european drivers coming in and being part of the party it's a really important aspect of the business and health in the paddock and that's why you know, it's not for me a case of we need more wealthy European drivers just so American teams can be healthy. It's, uh, eh, it's been a tradition, right? Uh, some of my absolute best friends, sir sure as heck weren't born in America and don't have American accents. And I'm so thankful that I have these friends who've come here to do this thing from Scotland, from Germany, from wherever, um, It's, I love that aspect about IndyCar racing, Dave, been a very international thing for a long, long time. It still is, but if we're talking new blood, new funding, new everything, that's coming, has come to a little bit of a crawl. And I'm worried that this might not just be a one-year aberration. So we're going to obviously see next year, if indeed it's just a bit of a, a little strange blip in the radar. Uh, but more, hopefully, you're coming. Uh, Matt Philpot. Hey, Matt, how are you, brother? Uh, he says, okay, jerk. This is a second submission. And if you don't answer it, I'm telling everybody that you think Cool Ranch Doritos are too spicy for your delicate palate. Uh, you're the man, Matt. Love you. Uh, it says, what is the biggest thing IndyCar has going for it right now? And what's the one biggest thing holding it back? Well, for those who know about it, and those who actively participate in it, whether that's in-person, Matt, at the events, or just really stay connected through whatever virtual means, through social media, through dumb little shows like this, where we have the Q&A show with drivers and whomever else, uh, Zoom conferences, the iRacing, wherever. You might be able to stay connected, interact with drivers and teams, and you know get plugged in. I'd say the best thing it has going is it's a very open series in that regard. Now, going back to one of the earlier questions about access, when are we going to be able to get autographs and, you know, pose for photos and all those things? And some series, that's not really a question to ask. You know, there'll probably be an autograph session somewhere where some people might be able to uh, get something. But yeah, you're really not going to be posing with the drivers or the team owners or the whomevers. You're not going to get close. There's some series that'll let you get halfway there, but certainly keep you at arm's length. And this is pre-COVID, and I'm guessing it'll be post-COVID. IndyCar is not that way. I'm sure there are some examples that I'm forgetting where, for whatever reason, folks were kept at a distance by mistake or whatever. But in general terms, Matt, if you love some IndyCar, you're going to get to fill yourself up with it in person through connected means, virtually or otherwise you can feel like, you know, these people. And I think that's pretty amazing because you're not going to get that outside of a handful of racing series. IMSA is very much that way. Uh, the series that I'll always call world challenge SRO Americas, very much that way. There are some other, I know, although I've only been to a tiny number of events, I know the NHRA is very much that way. There are some out there, so don't get me wrong, but if we're talking your NASCARs, your Formula 1s, and such, just be prepared to be a fan while heavily remote. That's the big thing. I mean, we can throw in all the other stuff, the diversity of, of disciplines, all the different tracks and speeds and craziness and To be the best IndyCar driver, you have to possess more skills than any other racing driver. The only place that I can think of that is semi-comparable is rallying, right? And that's because of the different surfaces that they deal with. Also, the insane danger that they deal with, safer barriers. My butt, (laughs) Uh, the thing that will stop you if you crash is a tree. Or the bottom of a 300 foot ravine, or whatever. Rally drivers, IndyCar drivers, without question, the greatest possessors of varied talent. And so that's why, again, another thing that's amazing, but, you know, I don't know how much the average person's going to just drop everything and go oh, well i love indycar now i never heard of it but oh your drivers do very diverse things well psh, that makes the total difference to me i don't think that's the case matt but again if you want access you want to get in be with people that do a crazy thing uh 25 26 people on the planet who have the great fortune of going 25 ish miles an hour at the Long Beach hairpin, all the way up to 235-ish, 240 at Indianapolis, and it's just insanity, this is your series. That, I would hope, would be something that folks can appreciate, and you can get right up close and pretty much get to know these people. The thing holding it back, it's people. And no, not just the people leaving comments at the bottom of most articles um not enough people biggest thing holding it back is as i say however frequently indycar imsa as well sro americas they are the cult band they are the when they come to town man people are so happy but how many people well, it's not a giant arena. <laughs> when they come to town, where's the the band playing? Yeah, they're not going to where they host football games. Uh, they might not even be going to where they host basketball games. It might be a club that holds a maximum of 200 people. And I'm not saying only 200 people show up to an IndyCar race. I'm just saying that, you know... There are a couple of racing series where, yeah, they kind of sort of pack the football stadiums there, thereabouts at many of their dates. Uh, We're more the going downtown and, you know, getting into the club to watch our favorite, to see and hear our favorite band play. That's the problem. It's been that way for, I don't know, 15 years, maybe a little longer. I know the split, yada, 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 but the IRL IndyCar series still through the mid-2000s, mid to late 2000s, was not unpopular. Uh, Might not have had folks' hearts the way that the IndyCar series once did, but uh, yeah, this really wasn't so much of a topic or as big of a topic. Now, Matt, it's just a numbers thing. And it's not because IndyCar lacks something that folks would enjoy it's just not enough people know about it especially at a time where you turn on espn 2 right now wherever you are wherever you might be listening there's a strong chance the johnson's whatever cornhole uh championship is being aired or not only drone racing but the thing that i've seen lately which i didn't even know is a thing Um, esports drone racing virtual drone racing as well I've seen these things and so then you pile on all the other sports we know of Uh, you pile on men and women's college sports all the other stick and ball stuff uh, and on and on and on and on all the forms of racing and all the other distractions in life boy it is very different, Matt, than when I grew up, where yes, football, basketball, baseball, hockey, and you know, some other things existed for sure, but it wasn't the overwhelming menu. It's just how I think of life today. And I don't want to, that to sound like an old man back in my day. No, it's not what I'm saying. Just sharing that as someone who grew up in the 80s, the proverbial menu of things to dig into, to watch and love and whatnot, say just in the world of sports, there was a relatively limited amount of things to choose from on that menu today. So therefore not a surprise that with fewer things, there were a lot more people in all of them, a lot more people engaged in things because there wasn't great variety today. You're fighting. You're truly fighting to get people to watch and care about the thing you have. And with IndyCar, not exactly in its mainstream spot that it once was. That's why I always recommend. And it, I know it goes against the grain for those who just aren't fond of pushing or pressing. Maybe personality-wise, if you're more introverted than extroverted maybe these things aren't right for you but if you have friends you have family and they aren't aware of the thing that you love in this case IndyCar if you feel it's right to share that passion with them and invite them and say hey want to go to a race with me or sit down and watch this thing or are you willing to listen to me tell you all the things that I find amazing about this Practice or qualifying session or whatnot. We need evangelists, Matt. There are people who wake up every day at IndyCar and I would probably say a lot of the media outlets that cover IndyCar racing among the other things they cover and they try and strategize and think of all the things they might do that would get more people to care. Or make sure the people that already care don't stop caring. But the heart of it all, and thanks for sending this in. That's why I'm sticking with it and spending a little bit more time with it. Numbers, brother. Numbers, sisters. We need all that we can. And if there was a magic solution, if there was just one great television commercial, it would solve all problems. Uh, As you... Probably heard me say before on the show, my good pal, Sean Heckman, he, uh, half of dinner with the good half of dinner with racers, by the way, heck with that Ryan Eversley guy, kidding. Um, as Heckman always jokes, what does IndyCar need? What's the one thing it needs to solve all problems, more marketing. Well, <laughs> again, he says that with sarcasm turned up to 11 because, A lot of dollars have been spent. A lot of ad campaigns have been created. And here we are talking about the same old thing year after year, Matt. So uh, grassroots, telling you, maybe the, quote, marketing program they need to come up with is to pay fans. Hey, fan, uh, if you can make more fans for us, we'll give you stuff. Money, tickets, swag. uh, Hey, uh Nikita Latoshkin uh he'll be your IndyCar iRacing challenge driver if you can bring us 5 new fans i mean whatever it is just saying you spend money on ad campaigns that i'm sure they move the needle a little bit but we're not talking oh overnight we added 10% 20 you know we're needing to double and then double and then double again to be in a really happy place why not go to the people that are already here and committed and say, Hey, Phil pot. Uh, Hey, the rest of you silly people in the Prue day and whatever, the uh, dinner with racers day and name all the other days. Uh, can you help us make more fans? Can you rope family in and just strictly for personal benefit and financial gain? Um, look, I don't know if it's been tried. So, Why not? All right, let's move on. We're going back to our man, Daniel Summersgill. Glad you brought this one up. Daniel says, in Robin Miller's article on the cost of doing business, uh, which went up on Racer, I think, Monday morning, it states that compared to 1994, team manager and chief engineer salary today is much higher, whereas the drivers get less. says, is the team manager and chief engineer role considered more important now than back then? I'd have to go back and look at the exact things mentioned in the article. Daniel, I do know that I sent in, I think, one or two corrections because some of the numbers just, you know, uh, yeah, needed a little bit of fixing. Uh, Let's see. I'm going to try and answer this question swiftly. Um, You have a situation today where veteran team managers, I'm going to hire a team manager that is very good and proven and available. And I want to look through three to five resumes. Realistically, most people already know the ones that they want to go after and have relationships or can just call them. But let's just say we're doing things the traditional hiring way. Hey, human resources department really doesn't exist at most racing teams. Um, we need to hire a team manager. Can you bring me five resumes of the best candidates? You'd probably have someone come back and say, yeah, uh, in terms of people who are available, well, I don't know, we might be able to get you one. And that's because with... IMSA being in a really strong place, five classes now in the WeatherTech Championship. Uh, It's Michelin Pilot Challenge Series, very healthy, lots of teams, Uh, SRO, and yada, yada, yada. There is a lack of availability. Not the first time this has been brought up. This is something that when I speak to our friend Mike Hull, Managing Director at Chip Ganassi Racing. He's always talking about, you know, we'd love to run an extra car here, there, whatever class, whatever series. The first place we start is people. Can we get them All right? Not anybody, obviously, but real quality people. Even if they're youngish and don't have a ton of experience, you know, those are good bones there to work with that we can develop. But hey, we'd rather hire turnkey, awesome people yeah that's the starting point and usually the end point daniel for why a number of teams don't do more than they currently happen to do would say the uh, race engineer i know you wrote chief engineer i mean really just it's called race engineer uh, and beneath that race engineer you'll have the assistant uh, depending on how they break out the the terminology there could be uh, another that's either the assistant or the data engineer or whatever but race engineer, that's another area where you go, whew, how's this for a quick example? In the, in say 94, I can think of a lot of people that were very capable of being team managers that might not have been in IndyCar, but they're running Atlantic teams, Indy Lights teams, and they had a little bit of a profile right maybe not big big you know media weren't like hounding give me an interview 20 people deep with team manager x of whatever indy lights team but there's a bit of a profile there i don't know if i'd say the same thing really exists today there are of course select instances where that's the case but i'd say the the link between the upper tiers of junior open wheel ladder programs and indycar teams not close and so therefore i don't think there's a lot of cases where an indycar team looking for team manager or i would even say a car manager because we're getting more of that these days hey you know we have the overarching team manager but we're gonna hire you and put you in charge of this entry uh or hey we need a race engineer um Not a ton of new blood coming in because there's not a ton that I know of that's truly being looked at as, wow, big, big baller in junior formula and we're bringing you up. So if I look at availability, Daniel, the reason why you would see more money being paid today compared to 94 is it's a more precious commodity. There are fewer gems of the managerial and engineering trade that are just sitting there waiting by the phone to be hired. And so they work for other teams. You would have to pry them away, or they would have to want to leave. But by and large, there's not, unlike the IndyCar series in recent years, in terms of drivers, there are very limited numbers of solid talent coming up into IndyCar and going straight into those roles, uh, mainly due to availability. So... Something that also has to be addressed to fix for the future. Otherwise, it's going to be the AARP 500 with everybody 60 and older running cars. So, yeah, not that. Uh, Jameen Tuttle, hey, brother, says, This question comes from having a loose bolt on our family go-kart. Is there a position on IndyCar teams to make sure everything is tight and snug before and after every practice session, race, etc.? There is a position. It's called Mechanics. Uh, There is no single person responsible for this. Uh, Unless the nomenclature has changed and I'm unaware of it, it's just generally or or loosely referred to as doing a nut and bolt. Uh, The primary checklist I worked from for many years uh, while coming up at Fife Ridge Racing, it just simply had across the top of that 30 plus years ago nut and bolt list, and it would, it's a checklist. Now, I'm not saying that each team has some old-school checklist, paper checklist on a clipboard, but for the front-end mechanics, the rear-end mechanics, gearbox, uh, mechanic and specialist, etc., yes, they are indeed in charge of their domain. And this is something being looked at constantly, In some areas where things have proven to possibly loosen a little bit, you will notice there's a little bit of paint applied since nuts and bolts tend to be a darker shade. Um, The AN bolts, um, the aircraft grade, aircraft, aerocraft, sure, aircraft grade nuts and bolts that are used. Uh, Gold, sometimes you might see something that's anodized a little bit darker. So that's why you'll often see a white paint or could be a different color, could be pink. I mean, I've seen a, a number of colors used. Um, you'll see a little bit of paint applied to the nut and then onto to whatever the uh, one or few remaining threads that are exposed. And that's just a quick way to look and see, aha, looks like it has backed off a tiny bit. Not saying that that prevents teams from getting out their torque wrenches, Um, and a wrench or ratchet to hold the bolt head with the wrench or ratchet and then apply the torque wrench to the nut and go around and check that all are appropriately torqued to whatever number for that size bolt. But uh, it is a very common thing uh, to do that. And each team has their own practices. Again, there are some that might be a little more hyperactive hey i know we got paint on it great uh every session you're checking and you're reporting i mean there's some things that might be or i shouldn't say might be there's some things that are hard to get to until the end of the day um taking the floor off between sessions it does happen it's just not a common practice where every team puts the car up on high stands blast the uh, floor off the car etc cetera, etc cetera. but usually at the end of the day it's Pretty common to see a uh, thorough nut and bolt uh, of everything, whatever areas disassembled and inspected or, uh, quote, rebuilt and freshened. But there's are some areas that, again, a little bit harder to get to uh, with the floor in the car. Certainly be the areas where you would see paint applied. Uh, so if you can at least look and see down in some of these crevices, grab the flashlight, take a look. Could something have safety wire applied? Uh, could there have? Could there be some sort of Loctite applied to some of the areas? Again, hard to get to, without the car being blown apart. Definitely. So, but yeah, it is incumbent upon each mechanic to look after whatever whatever region of the car they're assigned to to do that. And uh, yes, don't skip. Uh, don't be lazy. A young Marshall Pruitt was lazy and learned a expensive lesson, and was looked at with. Very, very angry eyes. Guy by the name of Tom Dooley, uh, who I saw for the first time a couple of years ago, running a 90, 1982 Mirage uh, chassis, Mirage Cosworth DFV-powered or DF-something-powered uh, Le Mans entry, one that was owned and, and built by my friend Harley Cluxton, the one that Mario and Michael Andretti attempted to drive at Le Mans in 1982 and were... Excluded on the grid for not nonsensical reasons. Anyways, uh, Tom was one of our drivers at Fife Ridge Racing. And with the way the Swift DB2s and DB5s were assembled, the front leg of the lower rear A-arms threaded into the bell housing. And I don't remember why. I had no good reason to avoid, but... I just did not check that those bolts, or at least, I don't know why, I, I can't even come up with the reason, but failed to check that bolt and it came loose during a session. And well, guess what happens when the left rear suspension, which is held onto the car with four bolts, well, guess what happens when it loses one of those four, uh, things start to twist and torque and bad things happen and bodywork gets messed up and things are bent and there's again big cost to it uh yeah uh my fault a thousand percent and i cannot tell you how unimpressed uh the company owner business owner team owner and driver bob Lesnett was with my idiot self so uh, after that, we went to drilled bolts. Uh, the heads were drilled. Uh, and then also into the bell housing, there was a little clear path drilled. So Marshall Monkey Ass Pruitt could safety wire those bolts to make sure that if he ever had a bout of laziness again, well, guess what, dummy? Uh, you're not going to cost one of our clients money and time. So... Luckily, Tom could afford it. I sure couldn't. I was making $300 a week. So, yeah, and Tom was making... I think Tom outfitted the entire uh, major PGA? Yeah, professional, whatever. The big Major League Golf uh, Tournament people. Uh, Yeah, that was his company, and he made a lot of money. So, anyways, he could suffer my stupidity. Uh, Where else are we going to go here as we start to ramp down just a little... Uh, Steve Grinstead, MP, does an IndyCar team need to set up a car differently at tracks when a lot of different series are running on the same weekends, such as Long Beach and Detroit, or are the first few laps of the opening stint uh, written off to rubber or clean up? Uh, let's see. I mean, the only real adjustments that are needed to be made involve tires and... Handling and suspension and stuff. Yeah. Uh, Kidding aside, Steve, it's certainly something that is taken into account. It's really the one main area where teams don't have a lot of ability to change their reality. Hey, cars with Michelin, Cooper, um, Yokohama. And I mean, we can run down the list. There's a whole bunch of different tires being used and yeah they don't all have the same they, none of them have the same uh composition as the firestones and so it's not kind of a velcro situation pure firestone rubber being put down on the track and then hot fast rolling firestone rubber rolling across it and just locking in like i said like uh uh sides of velcro coming together And so in that situation, the best thing I can can offer, Steve, is it's often just dealt with. Will you change your starting tire pressures? Will you make some nominal changes? Sure, but you do know that somewhat quickly, whatever, if there's been non-Firestone rubber put down prior to the session... I don't know if it's ever going to be perfect in a short, you know, 20 minute warm up or something like that, but in a normal hour, 75 minute session, there's going to come a point where things have been overwritten and you're in pretty good place, a pretty good position. Uh, Similar to a race as well, where depending on what went before you, you're going to have to deal with a little bit of squirreliness with the track surface not being optimal in terms of Firestone Rubber being. The one and only thing sitting on top of the track surface. But with 24, 25, 26, however many cars out lapping and lapping hard, track does start to come in. Uh, Will Velkoff, MP, wanted to talk tires this week. Funnily enough, our man Tim, because he's smart and does a great job, puts tire-related questions together. says, are teams allowed to monitor tire temperatures via infrared sensors uh, or other means through their live telemetry? Uh, or only by the good old pyrometer in pit lane? Also, do teams run their own tire testing anymore, or is data provided by Firestone? Um, Firestone sets up a very limited number of tire tests each year where select teams are invited and tends to rotate, so there's no hint of favoritism. And at those tests, uh, Firestone certainly does nothing but gather data. But that's used to help form what tires are going to uh, develop for the following year and so on teams just going to a track to learn about whatever Firestone tires and that being the main reason for going. No, not really. Um, not that I can think of, of course, while there, they're trying things and learning, but it's part of the overall testing plan and the information that comes back compared to we're doing nothing but, tire testing of our own today as for monitoring absolutely and it's been that way for 25 years in indycar maybe a little bit longer so when the tms systems came into play the tire monitoring systems those being the uh, wireless devices bolted into each wheel those not only gave pressure information which gave, being a radical development, an option through telemetry or the new option through telemetry for teams to not only see the tire pressure but then see if something is going down, potentially have a cut, have a whatever it is, monitor tire pressures and see what is happening, positive, negative, or hopefully nothing, just normal action, but they'll also glean information from that to make decisions on how to change pressures for the next uh, pit stop or otherwise. And there's also the ability to get temperature, and that being a single temperature from the same TMS device. To your further point, the addition of infrared sensors certainly started to come in as well. And I'm forgetting the exact year, but yeah the same kind of 20, 25-ish years ago. Uh, Back in my IndyCar days and engineering days, know that uh, certainly uh, when I was doing the data side, that was something I was installing, something where I'm looking at other teams and what they're doing to see how they were doing installations. And yes, you will certainly uh, see that happening uh, at times. I don't want to say always by any means, but, yeah, uh, it's always interesting, say, at the Indy 500 during practice to walk up and down pit lane and see who has decided that they want to uh, go run with their IR sensors um, for a lot of laps and such. But if there's more frequent use that I'm not knowing about, of uh, things fully embedded at all times, then it's probably just because my brain's not functioning properly. But, yes, to your point, uh Absolutely, and it's been just a normal, regular part of knowing uh, not only pressure, but temperature, and then based on uh, your infrared sensor usage, whether you have a single or double or triple, where they're pointed, uh, you know, I should say where they're pointed, but having an array to try and capture your real-time inside, outside, and center to give you uh, a really strong idea of how your setup changes are working, that's been pretty normal stuff. Will for uh, quite some time. Let's see, uh, Jeff Ashcraft, how you doing? Jeff says MP. It's not necessarily any car related, um, but I always love the race car engineering segments that I used to do with Jeff Brown. It says, what has you been up to over the past year? Uh, been doing a lot of race engineering, Jeff. Uh, plenty. So yeah, kept. Pretty busy, thankfully, during the pandemic. Uh, was doing more kind of Ferrari challenge coaching than big IMSA stuff. Did some LMP2 things for sure in IMSA, but I believe this year he's back working with Core Sport, looking after their LMP3 with his son, Colin. Uh, by the way, was texting just before we started recording with Colin. Going to catch up with him for a article tomorrow. So, yeah, uh, man, Jeff Brown, one of my favorite people and someone that we have plans to do more podcasts. I just need to make them happen. Uh, Jeremy Charette, you say, Marshall, what's the story behind the IndyCar timing stand in your storage unit? Well, uh, I opened that storage unit in, I think, 2005, 2006, whatever it was, uh, while I was kind of transitioning towards this media career, um, was working a nine to five ish type job in biotech doing some really i don't know it was interesting to me but maybe not to others um on in the production side the the making the drug side in bunny suits in full breaking bad suits uh in making drugs and um, was also using all my vacation days and sick days and you name it to fly around the country. Mostly at sports car events, but also some open wheel events, being an engineer, team manager, oftentimes team manager and engineer for uh, world challenge stuff, uh, road to indie stuff, blah blah blah, and was also running my own little endurance racing team, mostly here in California and so with those endurance races being long, I said, "Hey, uh why not be a smart monkey and get." One or two IndyCar timing stands, which will carry everything you need and also be something comfortable to sit on that is slightly elevated. Seeing how ding 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 sat on many of them for many years in IndyCar, so bought a couple out of Indy. I think they were 200 ish, 250 bucks a piece. Um, cart era, so they were even a little bit old by the time I bought them. Uh, I think mid 90s, early 90s, whatever. And I forget what happened to the first one. Truly, I don't even remember. Uh, But the second one I've had, and it's just been taking up space and storage. I've tried to sell it like five times for almost nothing, and just there's no interest. And so I reached a point last weekend where I said, okay, I'm going to go up here and start this weeding out, cutting down, throwing away, organizing, downsizing effort, because I don't want to tell you what they're now charging me for that storage unit, but it is shocking. And so we now need to get out of there as soon as we can, because the amount of money that would be saved would be almost crucial for us. Uh, so with this hike and the need to get out of there, first of all, to a different place somewhere else, not where it's located, but Not just a smaller place at that facility, but just let's go somewhere else where they aren't insane price-wise. The biggest thing that's the biggest eyesore has been the timing stand. So I was of two minds, Jeremy. Do I call some sort of metal scrapper or whatever and say, hey, here's steel and aluminum. Take it. uh, Turn it into money. Or do I just say, hey, Bay Area racers? If you have a need, come and get it. It's not pretty. It needs work and love. But look, it's $0. And so that's the story behind it. Uh, It's been sitting in there unused for about 10 years now. And maybe a little bit longer. I just need it to go away. And I cannot wait. I just have been doing happy dances since I had about seven people say, I'll take it. Um, I've never had that happen before. But I guess I've also never offered it for free. So that's the reason why. car guy who said, hey, let me get an ex-IndyCar timing stand to use in my endurance racing team. So there you go. Uh, Jeremiah Morrell, when should we expect a full month of May calendar? Fan attendance numbers, details on garage area, bronze badge, access. What does Carb Day look like? Uh, it says Indiana just moved the vaccine to age 40. Things are looking good on that front. Uh, should out-of-town guests be planning trips to the 317 in May? I think so. Uh, knowing that I mentioned that I was texting with our pal Doug Bowles, president of IMS, who's going to join us next week as our guest. I would say, instead of asking your idiot pal Pruitt here, Jeremiah, save them for the smart guy who's going to give you far better answers. Uh, Evan Scarborough, you ask a question that was filed before I put in my Indy 500 car count story. Uh, you said what 's your officially unofficial car count for the five hundred teams manufacturers, drivers, etc uh, A couple of things I can offer that maybe weren 't in the story just because i don 't know there comes a point where you go I could probably keep writing this for a week and think of more things to add, but I gotta stop uh, Honda tells me that they are done with uh, leases all all that they have to offer are signed, and they said that number is eighteen. So on the projected total maximum number of entries that I've been able to find out about, and I think that's it. Like if there's a surprise then cool, but, uh, I did, you know, I've asked all teams, everybody, uh, whether it was in the last week or before I started preparing the story. So I've weighed in with everybody at some point in time, very recently. And the maximum number is 37. So, That 37, and if I had the story open in front of me so I wouldn't have to rely on feeble brain power, that would be smart. Okay, it's now open. Uh, That 37 includes an extra AJ Foyt Racing Chevy. That I know was a new piece of... When I learned about that, I I just sent Larry Foyt a text. I'm like, hey, running through, doing my first Indie Entry List story. I know you guys... Art 3, because you've announced 3, are you guys good? And I just fully expected him to say yep and to move on and was, uh, I don't want to say surprised. I was surprised, but I was not surprised that they would try and get in while the getting's good because they certainly seem to be heading in a really positive direction. And hey, uh, when it looks and feels like positive things are happening, tend to do a little bit more business so um not saying that's going to happen but if i was a betting person which i am not i would be putting money on better than a 50 50 chance of it happening for those of you who be- do bet and know such things i think I, what i just said makes no sense but however i might place a bet that said there's better odds of it happening than not happening that's the bet i would place uh andretti Sport. Sixth car, going to happen, period. So that is happening no matter what. We just don't know who is going to be the driver. Dale Coin Racing's third car, going to happen no matter what. Just don't know who the driver is going to be. So of the call it done guaranteed list, I had thir- have 31 entries. Within those 31 there is the slight TBD of dry and Reinbold racing. Definitely something that I was unaware of before speaking with Dennis on Monday, and that was they are indeed really thinking they're only going to do one. So there's still a chance it could be two. He says, we've wavered back and forth in recent weeks. He said, if you asked me a week ago, I would have said two. Right now I'm saying one, and it could change. But he definitely it sounds like he wants to run one compared to running two for the sole reason of the last couple of years. Oh boy. It hasn't been pretty. The cars haven't been fast. They haven't been possessing speed or competitive in race trim. And I would say not hitting the stop button, but hitting the pause button saying, all right, We're going to field one entry. We're going to bring in more resources, hopefully more people. Whatever it is, we're going to try and get to the root of what we've been missing so that hopefully we can get back to running multiple entries again and be able to tell people, Hi, if you want to bring your sponsor to us and pay us to run a car for you, you do have a good chance of a solid result. Dennis, being the honest person that he's always been with me, said, You know, um, I haven't been feeling too good about that, so we're going to have to get back to that place. So that's the only slight TBD. Said they're going to do one, no matter what. Two, little questionable. Sage isn't guaranteed to be in the primary entry. I would say it'd be strange to see anyone else there. But 31 is that number. Uh, You add in the Andretti 6th. We get to thirty-two. You add the coin third, we get to thirty-three. Uh, Mention the drawing Reinbold second, uh, not so much at this point. I do doubt it. I really do doubt it. Um, Ray Letterman Lanigan's third going to happen, guaranteed. I've heard it's a done deal. Bob told me when I spoke with him recently about it. Said it isn't. Okay. Only hear that it's a done deal. So that takes us to 34. So at minimum, uh, if nothing else comes to fruition, we have one entry that will be bumped. So we have the 31 we know of, even though one of those, again, believe we're going to see Sage confirmed. But we'll just say there's 31 that we know. They're locked in, been announced, done deal, got it. Three more to add on top of that, Dreddy Coin and Ray Hall all Hondas coincidentally, that takes us to thirty four uh, and those three, I should say, those three potentials that have Honda engines, those are part of the eighteen that Honda has committed to, so you know those are those aren't hopefuls, those are things where those cars are already planned to exist. Uh, take part in practice from day one so we're at 34 at minimum we're at 34 last one on the list here also just because it's where their letter falls uh, is top gun racing Uh, they have said in print that they have purchased cars that they are going to be there with rc enerson and i really really truly hope that all of that happens little bit too much of the crying wolf syndrome last year, which is why I, though I did call Bill Throckmorton, who sent me to voicemail after one ring. um, I really do hope that things happen for them. If anything were to go sideways and derail stuff for this year, I would just fear that it'd be very hard to rebound from that. But nonetheless, I genuinely hope that RC is on track with them. I think that kid's a star, potential star. I don't know if he's better than Colton Herta, but I know that in a quality seat that that kid would be, I think, doing more impressive things. Um, As I mentioned at the bottom of the article, Honda's set at 18. Been told that Top Gun Racing is not part of that 18. They have not announced a deal with Chevrolet. I could not tell you if a contract has been executed with Chevrolet, but it's clear that if they do participate in anything on track, they would need to execute a contract with Chevy because Honda is not uh, capable of supporting them at the speedway. So six to be resolved, three we know going to be there, not a question, 34. The Foyt one intrigues me. Um, I Again, I, it feels like I, I think there's going to be something happy happening there. That Top Gun entry, again, based on the fact that they've apparently bought new cars uh, and so on and so forth, it sounds like that could happen. And if that's the case, holy poop. One year coming out of COVID, when there was big fear that, boy, all the money is going to get turned down coming out of 2020 with seemingly every business having lost money. Boy, 21 is going to be rough. We could be at 36. So I'd say 35. I'm really confident about that 35th being the foit And provided Top Gun does what they say they're going to do, we'd be at 36. The Dryer and Reinbold, it's the only one on that list of six. I would say, uh, Evan, I, I'm not feeling that one right now. So, I don't know, uh, 35 to 36, that would make me pretty happy. Uh, all right, we are just about done here. Let me grab the last couple. Uh, and I'm going to save that last one for you, John Wojnar, a.k.a. John Ranjau, Uh I believe... Uh, the de facto leader of the Pruday, uh, KP, also known as Green Gecko One Nineteen, says the hashtag Pruday folks encourage me to ask. Uh, you said ask, but I assume you meant ask. If you have resources or stories on the safety team, he says. Outside of the yellow, yellow, yellow documentary, says uh, his wife works in the ER and is fascinated about trackside trauma cases and what we've learned medically. Uh, says bonus hashtag Pruday points for cat butts mentioned while answering. Uh, well, I already mentioned that Rocky was licking my hair. The other thing he often does when he jumps up on the back of my chair in the office here while I'm working is decide that he needs to kind of sort of turn around and do his best to stick his butt, not in my face. Cause that'd be weird. Cause I'd be sitting in the chair backwards, but at least go to the side and turn it and kind of make sure I know he's a, he's a, a boy. So I don't know if that's so much cat butts as in uh boy parts, but yeah. So I don't know if I got bonus points there, KP, but, uh, I'll try, huh? This is an awesome question and I'm wholly unprepared or insufficient as a human being to answer it because I just haven't asked the the trammels and whatnot of what have we learned medically from trauma cases um, that have sadly happened trackside. Yeah, I don't know why this... Well, this year, and I probably got to get going on this pretty soon, uh, here in May, uh, opening up May gonna mark the 20th anniversary of davy hamilton's life altering crash at texas motor speedway and i know i've mentioned on the show more than once that i've been waiting to this 20th anniversary and you know it's not like an anniversary you celebrate but uh to give davy a ring and do a feature about it because having been on that team uh I know I've mentioned it before and I don't say this like it means anything but having been there to help clean up the aftermath um boy that was yeah I've had a driver die on me before um this is the first time I've had a driver just torn to shreds and to well to this degree I mean I've had you know many drivers injured in whatever thing they've had but you know didn't really stop their career or whatever, but this is the really one and only instance where a team that had been a part of a driver who, you know, working as part of the crew was just, Oh boy. Uh, yeah. Stomach turning. So hard topic, but one where going to look back with Davey on what the last 20 years have been like, also want to talk with Sam Schmidt, uh, and also, you know, the team owner, uh, and talk with Larry Nash who ran the team. And I don't know if maybe I can think of some others. Um, but yeah, uh, boy guy who was a huge part of the Indy racing league, one of the big names, one of its early stars and enduring stars and this boy. So here we are 20 years later, crazy. So, uh, I know that doesn't necessarily I don't know if that probably does fit the trackside trauma cases for sure, but I'll make a note here, KP. And I'm, uh, I can't, I don't want to promise anything because uh, I still have podcasts I haven't published going back from being recorded in 2016. Um, But I'm going to make a note here and uh, I'll reach out to uh, Doc Trammell and, uh, you know, probably some other good folks who might be able to offer. Pretty interesting insights here. I'd have to assume that there's been a lot learned, and I'm sure that there's been many things mentioned in books and you name it and maybe other podcasts, but uh, always interested to learn from folks. And this is a big area where I just don't have anything for you, my friend. So let me see what I can come up with. Um, There we go. Let's move to Ricky Zagata. Do you have any funny stories about Tony Renna? His career always fascinated me because he lived close by in Florida. Always liked the way that Pat Long keeps his memory alive uh, and doing tribute helmets. A wonderful talent gone too soon. I don't have any real funny stories. Uh, I know that I've mentioned this before. One thing that I maybe still have somewhere, who knows, maybe it's in storage, but uh, I remember Tony, I think in his barber Dodge days, uh, working the paddock. I'm totally forgetting as well, Ricky, what team I was working for, but, um, was trying to just do the, get people to know my name thing, which is so important when you are young on the road to Indy. And I, it was just like promotional pens, like just ballpoint pens, you know, Tony ran a race car driver or something like that. And I remember he was just giving those out wherever I happened to be standing, under, you know, I guess I was near the, uh, the little barriers and such, whether it was tents of barriers or whatever it was, but just out somewhere near there under by our, whatever team I was with, with our tent. And I guess I was close enough to, I don't know. Um, he must've seen me and thought that, I don't know, I was a person who needed a Tony Renna pen. And, uh, I just, I loved it because it's cheeky, right? It's not walking around with this resume or with hero cards and trying to, you know, whatever. It was just like, hey, can I give you a business card? Maybe you come down to my little sandwich joint. You know, you get 10% off and a free bag of chips or whatever. It was just that kind of personal networking. And I could do nothing for him. uh, But he, you know, he was less interested in that than he was just trying to make acquaintances with people you know working up where he wanted to get to eventually and i mean again i don't know if that's funny or interesting or not um but i just love that about him and it said so much to me in that very quick and brief interaction of like oh yeah the guy is not just trying to look cool The guy's not just trying to walk around with his sunglasses and hope that some young lady just swoons over his majestic awesomeness. It was, hey, uh, I got nothing to do right now because we're not on track at the moment. What would be better for me, sitting around trying to look cool or trying to go make myself seen and and made aware of uh, in IndyCar? So I totally respect that about him. Don Gregory says, since IndyCar is looking for a third engine manufacturer, have they ever considered McLaren? I would say, my friend Don, that when haven't they considered McLaren? I don't know how many times Zach Brown has been asked. I know I've asked him many, many, many times. But yeah, uh, I can guarantee you there is no lack of clarity between IndyCar and McLaren on IndyCar's desire to have McLaren as an engine supplier. Uh, Don also mentions the new 2022 McLaren Artura as a twin-turbo hybrid V6 and would seem to fit the series future engine spec. Uh, You say, what says you? Well, if it's built to IndyCar's 2.4-liter twin-turbo V6 formula, then it would certainly fit, but it's not, so it doesn't, unfortunately. Even if they made a 2.4-liter twin-turbo V6 that was hybrid, uh, it would... Still, unless it was truly built 100% IndyCar's regulations, just would not be allowed. So, but yeah, uh, I mean, it'd be amazing. I think it'd be fantastic. I, look, I'm giving it my vote. Next time I speak with Zach, I'm going to tell him, brother, come on, let's do it. You and I, hey, I just found my toolbox. Well, I didn't forget where it was, but I haven't used my toolbox in a long time. I will bust out the tools and I can't really machine an engine with the tools in my toolbox, but I can bolt suckers together. Count me in, do whatever it takes. Those things would blow up instantly if my hands were put on them, by the way. Uh, Matthew Lawrenson. Hey, Matthew. Uh, Let's see. I'm trying to remember if you've sent in stuff before. If you have and I'm forgetting, well, I'm an idiot, but you know that. Uh, He says, Marshall, as a devotee of vintage tech says, I'm probably recording your podcast on VHS right now. I'm wondering, what's the oldest, most obsolete piece of technology you've seen in use in a modern IndyCar garage? Uh says, best of thoughts towards you, your wife, your cats, and your beer fridge. And uh, Thanks for keeping me partially occupied during the interminable UK lockdown. I wish I had a beer fridge, Matthew. Um, a goal that I have is to buy a house for my wife and I. I'd live there too, but. Uh, I know I should be one in the showdown, but hey, you're here. And if you're still listening at this point, then I figure we're okay. Um, Before cancer visited our world in the, what, just slightly into the second part of 2018, we were truly on the hunt for buying a house, buying a home. And that became no longer possible Some of you know about the insane financial aspects of everything uh, we've gone through. Hoping in the coming months, I don't know, latter part of the year, I, I don't know what the timeline is. I think, I hope, I believe, I do pray every, truly every morning before I get out of bed that this reality we've been in will be behind us. It feels like that's possible. And so I'm just going to mention this because, again, you were kind enough to extend well wishes, so sharing a little bit here, albeit late in the show. Um, I'm going to start selling a lot of things, (laughs) Uh, a lot of things. Probably a lot of it paper-based, magazines and whatever else, but um, part of this storage downsizing and, and clearing out and whatnot is also trying to find the things that, yeah, I love it and I've had it for a long time, but, you know, this needs to go to a new home. And that 10 bucks 20 bucks whatever bucks, if that gets us closer, that needs to get us closer to a house. So I hope some of you all don't get sick and tired of me, but hopefully before too long you're going to see regular, if not daily, hey, here's some new thing that I'm hoping you'll take home uh, because part of what I need to do this is all pivoted off of you mentioning a beer fridge is get to a point in time Matthew where we not only have a proper home I can go to our other storage that I opened that's right nearby us where all of our belongings that didn't fit in the smaller place we moved into it's right next to the hospital Uh have all my racing books and all that stuff put all that stuff and just live normally and maybe have enough space for a beer fridge so that's all a goal for me. So just sharing as for antiquated boy, the main thing that comes to mind and it wouldn't be recently, it's more, maybe early two thousands. I do recall seeing in very rare instances, truly super rare, which is why it would caught my attention. Um, one or two teams. It might have been even on kind of the road to indie level, but like the real kind of homegrown. Like, all right, you guys are just having fun here for the weekend. Uh, it was a use of Dunlop gauges, and if you're not familiar with Dunlop gauges, uh, those are used from a alignment standpoint to set the toe on the cars. That is, if you're looking at the front of a car, kind of ground level staring straight at it that is the degree in which the tires are either angled outwards or inwards and it's too late in the show for those who don't know what toe is to go into a whole dissertation there but dunlop gauges been around for a while used to set toe and possibly the most inaccurate things ever in the history of the world of it, ever so that's what comes to mind if you don't yeah uh since you love old tech you maybe know all about a matthew but if not dunlop gauges named after the tire brand oh man yeah run run far far away uh let's see curtis cleveland you are the penultimate questionnaire and yeah this is uh apologize folks we try to get this done about an hour and a half ish hour 45 but hey Uh, A lot of questions this week, which is kind of cool. I don't know why, but, hey, we got them. Uh, Curtis Cleveland, penultimate man, you say, don't know if you've tried an escape room, but they're awesome. Uh, Full of puzzles and teamwork to get out. So can we get Peacock involved, group drivers in fun ways, and lock them in just to see what happens? Do they work together? Do egos get in the way? Oh, so every now and then, Curtis, we get the question of, hey, does an IndyCar driver's association still exist and the answer is yes and then there's a oh yeah because you know i heard about it and it gets spoken about every now and then i know that our man james hinchcliffe certainly after things went ugly with air mclaren sp was saying hey there's really nobody that looks after drivers properly and you know we've they should we should really have something here with the Drivers' association and all being taken care of, and you, I don't know, full union, but something along the lines of a drivers' proper union. And it doesn't go anywhere. Uh, and the same dissenting voices, the same loud, shouty voices that say, No, you're wrong. We shouldn't do that thing you're suggesting, uh, or we must, otherwise the world's going to come to an end, you know, uh, as I hear. Um, you know. It's a case of the same people kind of sort of saying the same things, bringing whatever is felt to be disharmony or disunion, if that's even a word. I think you just take the word dis, put a dash after it, and then put union, and who knows? Maybe it works. But what you would find is there would be a limited number of drivers who just said, screw everyone else. I want to go home and have my beer or bourbon or whiskey or vodka or kale, whatever. I just want to go home and be with my wife, boyfriend, girlfriend, kids, myself. Uh, There are some hot pockets in the freezer and damn it, I need to get to them right now, whatever. And that limited number of drivers would just get together be the ones who help solve whatever it is and then allow the rest along with them to leave. So yeah, it'd be a small number, but yeah, I mean, that's not too right. That's not too different. Um, yeah. All right. Final question. Unless I scroll down after and find a few others that I just got to throw in quickly. John Woznar, again, de facto leader of the prude fear him. He's only 25, but Uh, I am truly afraid. Looking back, we've had IndyCar drivers on Wife Swap, American Ninja Warrior, Dancing with the Stars, The Bachelor, and The Amazing Race. That being said, which two drivers would you select to appear on Naked and Afraid? Oh, John Ranjow, I'd love you. Don't tell your girlfriend, but I do love you. Uh, You're the best, my man. Who would I choose for naked and afraid a show i've never seen seen the ads for it who hasn't if you uh live on earth and in the whatever hemisphere i happen to be in i'm sure you've seen it and it's probably grossed you out not so much because of the people or being naked but like oh yeah no that looks like bugs uh, or little slimy crawly things and you're like uh walking through areas and sitting at no yo no you're in the water where, Oh no. So yeah, naked and afraid. How about we split that up, John, and we pick one driver who we know would be all in for being naked. And one who we assume would just be the afraidiest, just be the most bugged out, afraid, scared. Get me out of here. Um, there's maybe a shade to that as well. Is it get me out of here because they have OCD, a cleanliness-based OCD, or is it just massive fear of insects, of snakes, of whatever? Um, I don't know. But I'm going to start with the naked. And I mean, I'm just looking through the list. He he's kind of sort of the default for these things. And I know he feels not because I choose him because he doesn't listen because he has better things to do. But I know he feels like he's chosen as this guy way too often and undeservedly. Even so, I still just default to Connor Daly. I can just see that guy in so many situations in life rocking out with his blankety-blank out. Just like, hey, yep, Uh, was thirsty and just felt like walking down to the local kroger's 7-eleven whatever and getting uh whatever he wants and well yeah that that connor daly he forgot to put his clothes on again but you know we love him and it happens enough to where uh, we're not really phased by it so even though totally undeserved and it's probably the wrong choice i'd have to say connor daly for the naked the afraid part oh boy now this one Again, I'm having a guess. We could say Rossi, of course, right? We know the OCD part a little bit. He's bothered by everything. I don't know if afraid. uh, There's a little bit of an inner steel there with with Rossi. I think he could gut his way through it. I mean, hell, he ran around Europe with Daly, so that tells us he's strong. But still, you know, especially in, like, COVID time, where everyone's used to disinfecting everything and everything's a germ and a virus, Again, I just feel like being naked in... Slimy wilderness, whatever things. I feel like that might really tickle something bad that would bug our man Alexander Rossi out quite a bit. But I'm just trying to think who else because he can't be the only one. Uh, Ray Hall comes to mind. Graham Ray Hall comes to mind. He's He's very tidy, likes things a certain way. Uh, I could see him in there. Who would I say would be the just the DGAF All Star? The opposite of afraid, right? Like, ah, let's do it. Let's stab stuff. Let let's light stuff on fire and eat it and whatever. Is there that person? I'm looking. I'll just I'm gonna go from Foyt to the bottom. I'll see if any name pops out. Kellett, he's Canadian. He's a really nice guy though. I just don't see him out like bow hunting and eating like Dear eyes, uh, for fun. Charlie Kimball, no. Avocados, yes. Eh, not this. Sebastian Bourdais, ain't happening. Love him, ain't happening. Colton Herta, no. Rossi already got there. Hunter Ray, maybe. Right, outdoors. He's probably the number one outdoors man or woman uh, among drivers. I know it's mostly water and fish, but he's yeah. He'd probably be game. The naked part, I don't know if he'd be down with that. But we're not using that criteria here, John. We're just talking the, hey, you want me to go out and kind of rough it and, you know, whatever, and also try not to have things crawl into my nether regions of all the IndyCar drivers. I think Hunter Ray might be the best candidate. Not the one who really wanted to do it, but if we had to choose one, I think... Hunter Ray is there, but uh, let's keep going. Hitchcliffe? No. Marco? No. Uh, no. Unless it was on a private island that he owned, and uh, Ludacris was there, and Kevin Hart. and But again, this would be more like Fire Island than anything. Uh, Pato Award? Hell no. That is a little face cream using, skin moisturizing, uh, everything. That is... He is as metro as can be. So and that's not a criticism. Just nope. Felix Rosenquist, I might be sleeping on Rosenquist. There might be something there. I don't know, but there might be something there. Montoya? No, not at all. Uh what else? Chilton? <laughs> no. He'd be on Marco Andretti's Island, uh, for sure. Dixon? probably back in the day definitely not today polo no johnson is a bit of a gamer uh, yeah i he yeah i don't know i don't I, it's a great question to ask uh he might there's a small percentage he's silly enough to accept my invitation to be on the show here uh before the season starts and if he is please someone send in this naked and afraid question because i'll absolutely pose it to him uh Canon, not a chance Groshan not a chance fittipaldi not a chance ed jones no uh ed carpenter no renas no uh elio no jack harvey no but he'd probably make something that tasted good if you killed whatever it is uh simona no she's too smart to do any of this nonsense uh sato no way too smart new garden now that's cute i love the idea there that ain't happening uh, McLaughlin, look, he is a Kiwi, by na- and he's young. So by nature, he's probably hardy. He's probably still hardy. And, you know, I could actually see Scotty out there as long as he had a ute to drive and, and you know, run over things, do a bit of four-wheeling there. I think he might. Power? <sighs> I might have slept on power, too. His crazy ass, if you just told him, hey, uh, new, new rule in America you have to go to wherever jungles of wherever for 2 weeks and uh live on your own and you have to be naked. He'd probably say as long as I can bring my phone and make videos I'm totally in. So I I think we got a couple candidates here and Pagano is the most not a ch- is the biggest no nah, of all, not a chance. So I don't know, let me know Pruday, and whomever else. Of the names that I mentioned, provided you agree with any of them, uh, do you think any of them are right for this uh, naked and afraid assignment? All right, taking one last look. Do we need to get to anything? Jim Kaiser says, throwing in a little bit of haiku here, says, Dixon made a right, but someone came swooping by and ended his day, talking about the sad end to their 12 hours of Sebring that looked like they had it handled. <sighs> Uh, let's see, Carlos Villalobos, you sent in one about Robin's article, send this one back in if you want. I will definitely try and get to it next time. Uh, Caleb Whistler, you say, if you could do an escape room with up to five people in the paddock, who would it be and why? Um, I don't know. Did something happen where... Escape rooms became a thing this week because we've got one from you and our pal Curtis Cleveland. Uh, somebody tell me what happened. Uh, where else do we go here? Chris Ward, you've got some IndyCar quest, Indy 500-related-ish questions, Speedway questions. Those would be perfect for um, uh, our man uh, Dougie Fresh next week. Mm-hmm. Justin Holmes. Yes, do I foresee surface paradise or an international event in the future? I don't. Uh, It'd be years, I would think, Justin, if it were to happen, and I don't know who would offer up IndyCar a lot of money to do it. Uh, You know, we'll go here. Hidiroki2 from Reddit. Hidoroki I haven't had you here for a while, so that's just why I want to make sure that we rope you in and say farewell with your question. You say, I might be wrong, but I saw the changes in engines and chassis throughout the road to Indy as a response to prepare young drivers for IndyCar. With the changes coming to IndyCar, both in chassis and engine packages, do you think the road to Indy will also change in response? Would it be too expensive and too quick of a change? Man, that's really awesome. I hadn't thought about that one, and I get paid to think about this stuff. The hybridization is just going to be a real, real big bridge too far. Not only the costs, but the weight in comparatively small and also exceptionally light vehicles. It's, I'm exaggerating a little bit, but if there was even the room in the cars, in a Indy lights, maybe, but especially USF 2000, uh, Indy Pro 2000, the Tatus chassis, I mean, the weight, let's just assume there was space to put everything. The weight would be the equivalent of adding another driver to the car. I mean, it would radically transform the performance of the vehicles. And while you might get a horsepower boost, that'd be great. But the rest of the time, you'd just be dealing with a car that was heavy and roly-poly and wearing out everything. And yeah, I would say I'm not too concerned about it because at least for what we have been told is coming with IndyCar... It is 80 to 100 horsepower from the kinetic energy recovery systems, most likely delivered via push button. So meaning there's no kind of automated fill-in of e-torque and e-power. It's truly a, like we have with push-to-pass right now, but instead of it being relying on extra turbocharger boost, Uh, It would be deployment of electric ponies. And assuming it continues down that road and it is a push-button elective thing to use, uh, I don't think there's a whole lot to deal with, right? Talk about testing. I would say IndyCar would be smart to say, okay, rookies are going to get uh, an extra day or maybe two. So they can do nothing other than learn. I mean, pushing the button, eh, they're going to figure that part out. They'll be okay there. But the harvesting, right? How to harvest if they've never harvested energy before. Um, How to conserve, how to you name it. How to uh, do a lot of things. There's going to be a different braking uh, dynamic with the energy recovery taking place on the rear axle. There's going to be a couple of things that'll certainly be different, but eh, nothing crazy uh, that they can't handle. So again, another day, maybe two, so they can get very, very uh, comfortable with the KERS system, how to use it, how to charge it, uh, how to deploy it, and so on. I would think they'd be just fine. So for that reason alone, uh, I would see no real knees in the no knees in, sure. No reason to modify the road to indie cars would also say the costs on the road to indie level, the weight, the packaging. Yeah. These are just vehicles that by and large definitely are not meant. Uh, we're not designed for what we currently have to house such things. So, Hey, that's the show. Thank you for everything you sent in. Thanks for those who stuck around to the end. I love you. You're insane. But, you know, we come together because we share a common affliction. And that is loving IndyCar, talking about it, celebrating each other and the questions. Every week, there are things y'all send in or I'm like, damn it. Huh, why did not I... We closed with one. Why did not I think of that? It's such a great question. Uh, I hope you enjoy the format. Never going to change. So, uh, it's me, my flaws. It's you, your great questions, our great partners, the Cooper Tires, the Justice Brothers com. It's both cats who are still asleep. And uh, I got to go check in on my wife. So look forward to having our man, the Paul Page, as our guest. And then speaking to you next week where we'll do another round of IndyCar QA.